Hello and welcome to another episode of Unsourced Wall. My name is Elvis and as always I'm your host. It's gonna be kind of a short week, not much came out, not much news, but let's just try and make it a fun one while we can because first of all, finally, the DC Universe streaming service has been fully announced with all of its services and all of what is going to be on there, i.e. comics, movies, cartoons, and the live action shows. So it's promising, a really well-rounded experience. Right now, everything is closed off. It's just the main website and the trailer that showcases pretty much all the things that they're promising you're going to be able to do on there, including community forums. The one interesting bit is that on the main website, when you click Get Started, it'll lead you to a small form where you can sign up, putting in your email account to be selected for the beta. It does seem a bit more interesting than it did when it was first announced, mainly because it's not just the shows, it's comics, movies, the cartoons, even legacy comics and cartoons and movies. I'm wondering how that's going to fill out, because even something like other streaming services that do have legacy backlogs, they shuffle in and out of things. And since DC and WB with their superhero properties have so many things, how are they going to ease them out? Or will everything be out there at once? Which would be fun to have everything at once, but I understand if they do do one season of Batman the Animated Series at a time through stretches so that it's not something that you can just sign up for, enjoy, or even rip with a free trial or something like that. Because that's been such a big concern for streaming services. It's something that Hulu does as well with releasing small chunks. And even Netflix does with their cartoons where they commission two full seasons and then they just release them so that you can't ever really get one concise bit of the story as a sign up for a trial. Hopefully we're going to see some more stuff and it won't be too long because I know that they are still working on the pre-production and production of a lot of their content. But they still have so much in their warehouse as it is that it could still be interesting just to announce it to have it there roaming free and we can worry about the original content as it releases later. It's not something that's so beholden that they would need to just stave it off immediately because the original content isn't what I don't think people are going to be looking forward to the most. But speaking of television, Jeremy Irons has been cast as the lead in the Watchmen TV show, which as we said before is a TV show that is set in the universe of Watchmen but set in the present day, years after the events of the main graphic novel. And if it was up to me, I think that Jeremy Irons would have been a great old Ozymandias. But as it stands, he's probably going to be playing one of the older cops who form the sort of core cast of characters. And hopefully he's used to a great extent because overall it's not something that's so interesting but a solid enough cast and a good story beat around it, it could still exceed expectations. Really though, there has been a huge spurt of casting news. Let's run them all down right now. We have Jared Leto being tapped to play Morbius, the living vampire, the Spider-Man villain. So that's one. And we also have rumors of a Spider-Gwen movie coming out as well as a Silk movie. So people have gotten excited about those as well. And finally, probably the most insane, unexpected out of nowhere casting the news that I've heard in a while would be for the Razor movie. And if anyone doesn't know, Razor is probably the most well-known and certainly the most iconic of the bad girl subgenre of 90s comics, you know, where you had feminine characters who were all badass and used lots of knives and were very gothic and darkly lit and Razor was probably the progenitor or at least the grandfather of most of these tropes and cliches he was associated with them. 
Well, it turns out they're making a movie and they've cast the one of the lead actresses of Vox's The Gifted in the main role, Emma Dumont, who plays Polaris in that show. And honestly, I'm really interested in seeing where they go with this. It's definitely not something that you would expect to hear about because it's not like a character that has endured. It's definitely a small benchmark in comic history. But the fact that people are trying to bring it out into a modern day context and comic book movie filled world is pretty enticing. I want to see what they do with it. I still remember the Witchblade TV show that gave on Fox and I really enjoyed that show. In any case, I hope that whoever is behind this, apparently the production company behind the original Crow movie is working on this. So I want to see if they still have what it takes to take a concept that might not be so cinematic and make it work for modern day audiences. Looking forward to seeing more news from that. This is something that I recorded later, but it's breaking news. So I've moved it up and I'm going to copy and paste it like I did with the Vertigo news from a few episodes back. But Harlan Ellison has passed away and that is just a blow because his work has always been one of my favorites. I remember loving and always anticipating the final collected edition of Vic and Blood, his trilogy of short stories that he was hoping to craft into one full narrative novel. Honestly, looking back, this is something that I can say that might have been something that I could have guessed. If only because last year, after so long, they were releasing a full edition of all three stories collected. With really the catch being that it wouldn't be the full novel. It would just be those three stories which had already existed and some back matter. So the fact that they were finally touting this as the final release, despite not really being a complete edition, should have been a tip-off to the fact that he might have known that he wasn't going to be around long enough to finally complete it as a full novel. So that's something that sticks in the head. But outside of his works in literature, of course, there's the history he has of comics. He has infamous rant about the comic book bubble, where he would take out his stack of comics and talk about the pricing of them and pretty much just what the folly of this entire thing was. And if you've seen it, then you know exactly what it is, but I recommend searching it out. It is one of the most iconic pieces of comic book journalism that there exists because it is so on point and it's so scathing and it just no holds barred, just frank discussion about the problem that was there at that time. As well as the notably and historically lost episode of Batman 1966 that he wrote about the origin of Two-Face, which finally saw both released as a graphic novel a couple years ago, which was then used as the inspiration for the animated movie with the voices of Adam West and Burt Ward a few years after that. So, you know, it's untimely passing. At 84, there's so much more he could have done and said because we're reaching such an apex of the actual sort of content and topics that he had been talking about for ages. And with all this other stuff that's going on, it's a voice that I honestly will miss. So hopefully he rests in peace. Let's move on into what I read this week. Which was actually pretty interesting and a lot more fun than I can say most weeks had been just in terms of ratio what I like to what I was just lukewarm about. First of all, it's a Stray Bullets week, number 36, and any Stray Bullets week is just amazing. Even though, like I said, the series really does go on for a long time, especially this arc, which is at now over a thousand pages with no end in sight. So it's ridiculous, but even though this is the issue that goes past the thousand page limit for this arc, it really does keep it fresh in just the way that Stray Bullets can, because this issue is entirely about a one-shot 
a character we've never seen before, we'll never see again, but who is just so memorable and so unique that he'll definitely go down as one of my favorite characters of this series just because of how well handled he is. He's really entertaining and it's just an amazing read. The arc itself, though, there is just nowhere I can see that even in four issues, which is my previous guess, that it can end. At my count, there's like four different distinct plot threads that need to close off before this can settle down. It's definitely an experience. It's really given it a new lease. As I said, 36 issues in, it drags. It definitely tests your patience on how long this story can go. It's a prequel, so like how far are we going to go with this? But then an issue like this comes along and really does remind you of everything that is so enjoyable and entertaining with the series. It's funny, it's thrilling, it's sad, it's seriously gut-wrenching. It's amazing. Even if it lasts another 13 issues, I'll be definitely following it. I'll still be immersed into what this is going on because even though I hope it ends so soon, it's just gone on so long, it's still quality work. And that's really what matters at the end of the day. On the other side of Spectrum, even though I still enjoy it, is a new issue of Wicked Plus the Divine. And it's definitely like the issue before last, where you have an issue that is clearly meant to be for the trade, that is clearly intended to be more in service of how this is going to read as a single chapter in this overall story. Which, as if you remember, the issue before last was nothing but the same panel, or at least repeated panels again and again and again and again for pretty much over half the issue, honestly. And that's an interesting thing and it would probably be better in a trade or in a Lux hardcover. But in essence, as a single issue, it's, it's a joke that really did wear thin. And it's definitely one that, that wears thin again in this issue. I do enjoy what this issue does and like I said my main pleasure in this series is how the plot unfolds and what things develop rather than like say the characters which I know have always been a very polarizing issue with The Wicked Plus of the Divine but so far I'm still entertained I'm still engaged in seeing what direction the narrative takes because really I feel much more interested by that aspect more than anything else. Venom number three also came out this week. And that is something which I am glad I'm still picking up. It's not a groundbreaking book. It's not something that's really testing my limits on entertainability. Where I'm thinking like this is definitely something that's going to go down in history as one of the things that I'm going to point to when I say this is an example of pretty much what this has done perfectly. It's not. It's still just a very solid entertaining book for its character and for what it's trying to do. Cates and Stegman are both doing great work. Stegman more than anything else because the art that's being put on this book is perfect for Venom it's perfect for the atmosphere and the such a matter of the story they're telling which is all very big and brash alien horror I think that so far there's nothing that's really pulled me away Venom isn't one of my favorite characters I've always just found him cool and bold in that sort of very very base way and this definitely fulfills that potential I think of just being solely about the impact while also doing the legwork in order to make that somewhat emotionally engaging. I liked his interactions with Miles probably the first time I ever liked Miles in anything so chalk that up for a win and honestly the whole idea of the symbiote god and all this trouble that Eddie is going through simply because of how overbearing it is and how completely horrifying it would be just by sheer intensity, which segment pulls off excellently, then yeah, no, I'm definitely glad I put this on my pull list and I'm going to be seeing this through to the end, or at least until it becomes unpalatable, which I hope it doesn't. I really hope it doesn't. We also have Bloodstrike Brutalist, 
part two, which is the 23rd numbered issue with Michelle Fief's run on this series, I have to say, it's definitely the most 90s accurate comic I've read in a while. Only because it's it's that weird mixture of when you read an old image comic, and I know because I've reread some old image comics very recently, just because I had the time and I felt bored. It catches that atmosphere and that whole mindset you have while reading it perfectly, and I'm not sure that's a good thing, or if it's entirely a bad thing either. Because when you read something like that, when you read those old series, it can be kind of baffling. The art and the actual writing content that you're that they're putting in, that they did put in, work at odds and leave you somewhat befuddled. And I can see why that would be appealing in a sense. Just caring about the art, just caring about what the impact is, and it can be really cool. But then you're just really confused about what's going on, why it's going on, and you can't really seem to concentrate on the actual writing content no matter how hard you try i remember reading the original gen 13 mini and just being completely lost at times i would read the same pages again and again and it just wouldn't gel together it felt so disconnected and just so detached that it was just sort of like white noise and that's what this definitely is a bit more palatable it's a bit more understandable but there are definitely moments where i sort of just drift in and out of this story but I can't say that I dislike it. It's definitely unique. It's definitely something that I am entertained in bits and pieces by. And it's definitely something that I want to go back and reread when it's all three issues are done. Just to see if they hang well together. But also because it's fun. It's somewhat fun. It's somewhat fun to really get into it. To just see these insane little set pieces. And really, I think that's the magic or at least that was one of the main cornerstones to early images hold on readers outside of the you know comic industry bubble so honestly if that was the intent or if it's just a weird byproduct then it's an accidental masterpiece in just capturing the the sensibility and the actual sort of core of those series which it has gone through some lengths to recapture it even has the credits page exactly the same as old image comics Finally, probably the one thing I read this week that I did not enjoy was the finale to Kill or Be Killed number 20 because I don't think that Brewraker and Phillips, who I know have done stellar work and that they have a lot of fans and honestly I'm not saying that they're a bad creative team but it's just that a lot of the time they do let their style and their sort of storytelling aesthetic get in the way of being entertaining. And I'm going to say this about three of their most recent collaborations, Fatal, The Fade Out, and this one, where it's not the story that's the problem, it's just that the way presentation happens just sucks out all life from all three of these. The premise can be good and some several issues and plot beats can be really, really entertaining. But then on an overall scope, I am just so bored and I find things just so bland within these three series. Kill or Be Killed, I think, has sort of the best handling of its own plot and its narrative and the energy and enthusiasm put into it, at least compared to The Fade Out, which was just dull mess and Fatal, which is just a non-starter that definitely wants to be something more. While Kill or Be Killed like, definitely has both the characters and the plot developments working for it. It's just that due to the over-reliance on narration, it's really hard on reread. I read it full on, at least up to number 13. When I binged it and it was just a great read. I was so enthralled by it. I was so desperately craving more of it. I went through those first 13 issues like that. It was just so great. 
and then going back to read it, I felt like the narration, which was rather playful and I thought really clever at the time, was now little more than just blocks and stalling for the actual plot beats to occur. Without the novelty of it for the first time, it became much more of a dragged out pace, a very much more slow and honestly a lot more boring. And this issue of Kill Be Kill just sort of rounds everything up in possibly the most trivial and trite way. It's a huge cliche. Of if this is the end game, this is the end point of it, then you just had like 20 issues of overblown and really, really plotting narration that led nowhere. And that's just disappointing. Fatal at least didn't have that problem. Its problem was that it was trying to be a horror comic. It was the most boring and honestly overblown and possibly the least horrifying horror comic it was just a lot of again a lot of trite cliches the fade out was just a longer more boring version of one of their criminal arcs bad night and again i'm not saying that brubaker or phillips are bad creative i think that a lot of their stuff can be incredibly good it's just that these three arcs i think are very much overindulgent to the point where they just work as art pieces and not really comics or a proper story which is honestly a shame and i hope that their next project which is a graphic novel set in the criminal universe and criminal i think is their most consistent series so that at least has me interested in seeing what will happen in that one because i think with criminal and with something that is not 20 issues or 18 issues but is just one small singular work like the mini series that criminal is comprised of it's like four or five issues each then hopefully they will put more of a priority and a lot more of value on telling the story as it is as it unfolds without going into a lot of fluff because that's how I feel about it. I feel like a lot of their recent works have just been lots of fluff, a lot of more trappings that aren't really that great because they overuse them to the point where it's just a huge sort of blurry mess. Anyway, let's move on into listener questions. We'll have one this week and it is from Norrin Radical. Their question is, who is my favorite member of Next Wave and what is my favorite issue? Now, Next Wave is definitely one of those comics that really does stick with you and just so well done and is so funny and it is just a delight to read every single time because it has all that energy and all that pep to it that it doesn't really ever wear out because it has that humor about itself that does speak out, that does endear the reader to it a lot more because it's not taking itself in any way seriously and for the times that it does are pretty engaging simply because they work in order to balance and to contrast all that has come before. So my favorite member would have to be, and it's not really the most controversial choice, but the captain, just because of that one small bit in one of the later issues with, you know, four Bushman who makes him see an idealized version of the sort of story he could be in. It's a very Alex Ross-esque little vignette, and it's so just amazingly hilarious because it's so played to the hilt, this pathos-ridden and drama-filled set piece. It's just, it just works so well. It makes me crack up a little bit thinking about it. So to have this small little piece that is just so melodramatic and is just so of the prestige comic type that it just works completely. It just demolishes that sort of sensibility. And my favorite issue would have to be the one where they fight the mindless ones, mainly because the series is known for having those little next wave taglines thrown out through all these issues. In that one, especially with the mindless ones, when they just come to life and they start dancing and doing just random ass poses. I think those are probably the best ones the series had to offer. 
I'm looking at his page right now, and it's mindless ones just snapping their fingers in unison, jumping up the air in the middle of a street with the tagline saying, Next Wave, Dance Critters. And it's definitely one of my favorite issues. And thank you again, Norin, for the question, because just thinking about it makes me want to go back and reread it. It's such a delight. It's, it's a great, small little treasure of a series. The actual beats and set pieces of it just are so memorable and just so ever-present just because they are, again, like I was mentioning with what I read this week, this is one of those comics where you can point to it and say, this is a clear example of this aspect of comic books, and that's why I enjoy them so much. And pretty much just the entirety of the look at the obscure and less stellar side of the Marvel Universe. It's just such a rich little premise. It's like the ambush bug for Marvel. And they even have Forbishman, who is the ambush bug for Marvel, does take that nugget of idea and expands upon it so well. And it's not limited. It, it's such a fruitful thing. And someday someone else will probably go back to that well and create the next next wave. Even then, it just shines an example of, yeah, this is what you can do with comics. This is what you can do with continuity. This is what you can do with large superhero universes that have all this chaff and filler that never gets picked up ever again, which is fine. And I enjoy it. So thank you. Anyway, we have some breaking news. The Scout Kickstarter from Tim Truman and Benjamin Truman for Scout Marauder has made its goal with 10 days left to go. Now, one of the biggest warning signs for any Kickstarter is that even though people will promise a lot, when the Kickstarter closes, there might be a lot of people who back out. So we want to make sure there's enough people who have already donated so that if there's lots of backouts, we'll still have the goal met, which is always a shame when it does happen, but let's try not to make that happen here. I've committed to the $50 goal because the $50 goal gives you like everything Scout, digital copies of the original series of War Shaman, the print edition, all this great stuff. So $50 is definitely every single bang for your buck you can possibly imagine. As usual, the print edition is several leagues down and a lot more cost-effective, so either or, but honestly, I don't regret it, and this series is so great. I can't wait for it to start coming out. Other piece of news, Illuminated's great webcomic, Mad Magic. They put it up on the best webcomics sites where you can vote for it for best webcomic. I'm going to put the link below for that, so if you have the time, also please vote for it. Let's get it up on the rankings. I think it's somewhere around the 13,000s, and it definitely belongs a lot higher than that. Thank you again for listening. As always, you can contact me if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear discussed on the show on my Twitter at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N. And an immortal thanks to the person who designed the cover art at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E. And just my ever-present appreciation for the people who listen, who support this show, and who give questions week by week, you're great, and I wouldn't be doing this without you, and just the feedback and the comments and everything. So thank you again, and see you next week.